Hi, listener. Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Pixels and Panels. Today's guest is Jess Heron, the creator of one of our favorite sports comics, Midnight Fairies. It's a dynamic sports drama about Zoe Maxwell, a teen who's dropped out of school to support her family and joins a supernatural underground basketball tournament. We cover big topics such as writing a story that is underrepresented with confidence, how she came to develop such a strong, energetic art style that fits the notoriously difficult sports genre, and defining one's own success for creators slowly advancing their comic. We really enjoyed the talk with Jess and hope you enjoy it too. Hey Jess, how are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? I am doing well. Let's dive right in. Why don't you just tell everyone a little bit about who you are? Yeah, um, I'm Jess Heron. I am the webcomic creator, which means writer and artist and everything for Midnight Furies on Webtoon to Tapas. And what got you into making comics? So I've always written stories and drawn drawings. And in college, I studied hand-drawn animation which was a lot of fun, but I found it excruciatingly painful to tell a story, you know, 12 or 24 drawings per second at a time. So um, yeah, later on when I got wanting to put together a, a story, I'm like, huh, how about, uh, how about comics? And of course, I, 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 I read comics all the time growing up, just to add that in there. Yeah, and before that, did you make many comics or were you a fan of drawing and what animation could do and, and looked at comics as like a new venue? Yeah, no, I didn't. Um, for some strange reason, growing up, I my writing was always writing, like prose sort of book style. And then my art was just kind of illustrations. I never put the two together really until... Um, a project before Midnight Furies, which I did one full issue of and then promptly gave myself a repetitive stress injury. And uh, yeah, so Midnight Furies is kind of my first big comics project, but all of the training I had done in school with film and animation made it a lot easier because, you know, it's all about the framing and, you know, what shots you're taking. Comics feels a lot like moving a camera around. So having studied film and animation, what sort of paths did you see your peers take? Obviously, I'm guessing some did go into film and animation, but were comics a path that you saw from a lot of your peers? Comics was a very common path. Um, at RISD, there was kind of two ways. You could either go illustration and then kind of end up in comics. Um, I know a, a friend and peer of mine, Yoshi Yoshitani, that's how she went. Um, and then there was a number of people who went the animation route and then ended up in comics as well. Um, a lot of people who went into film and animation, though, they tended to be more avant-garde. And so a lot of their, their work, I think they went more, I don't know, kind of artsy film route. And what sort of stories, you know, whether it's comics or movies, you know, what did you draw inspiration from and what got you onto the path of like, hey, I'm going to pursue, you know, a study of film and animation? I went to RISD being like, okay, I want to do art. I didn't know what kind. And I loved animation. Animation was a huge source of just like, I don't know. It's, it's what carried me through high school, man. I think it does that for a lot of people. 
and it certainly did that for me. So animation, I was drawn to that. And then, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to go illustration instead because I, I wasn't entirely sold on it. But then I read The Long Halloween by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. This is so good. What would it look like if it was moving? And just that urge to be like, okay, this drawing is really neat, but I want to see it. I want to see it moving. Uh, drove me towards animation rather than illustration. And my first animation was actually of uh, Batman. And it wasn't that great, but it was uh, it was funny. Well, what did you have Batman do? Now I'm curious. I actually, I think I took panels from the long Halloween and animated them. That's awesome. So let's talk about Midnight Furies. There's a lot of different threads I want to pull here, but how did you come up with the concept of Midnight Furies? Yeah, so... Midnight Furies kind of came to me in mid mid 20s kind of where the the idea hit and really like I I had loved playing sports in school. I loved pretty much any sport, but soccer and basketball were my two main go-to's. But then um I quit in early on in high school because of some pretty severe depression and the problem with those kind of team sports though is that it's very hard to get back into you know because you know all your peers are so much far ahead and you need you know you you need a certain number of people to do it so I got into like you know martial arts and then some like boxing and stuff in college and that was fun but there was this feeling I had of like ah I missed it like I, I, you know, you mit that missing out on a time period of your life because of, I think people, you know, I mean, Zoe, the protagonist, she misses out because she has to drop out of school um, because of her parents died, which is much more tragic than what happened to me. But I think we all quote unquote miss out on a lot of different opportunities uh, in life. And that was, I think, a lot of the emotional impetus. And then I've also, I've always had a fascination with the parts of history that aren't told. And for me, that comes a lot with women's history. And, you know, I grew up reading a lot of fantasy and sci-fi and it was slim pickings in, you know, my formative years of uh, the aughts. And, you know, we didn't, the, the media landscape of today was not what it was back then. Uh, and so I just always grew up with this fascination of like, what are all these untold stories, the stories you never even, you never even hear of. Um, and yeah, and I love sports comics. I love sports anime. I love sports manga. And yeah, so that all kind of came together. So what was it like for you to develop Zoe's character? Um, obviously, you know, what she went through was, you know, a different sort of version of what you went through but there's a lot of those similar emotions I'm guessing so what was it like for you to kind of take something you went through and kind of bring a character through life you know with those experiences yeah well okay to be clear um the, going through depression is not the same as losing your parents I want to clarify that I'm not I'm not saying that I think Zoe was the idea of um the, the lost genius of like how many Michael Jackson's Michael Jackson's how many Michael Jordans I meant to say Michael Jordan the first time around but Michael Jackson just slipped out um how many Michael Jordans are out there how many Serena Williams how many really amazing athletes and but writers and artists and everything are out there but they're you know crushed beneath poverty or shitty circumstances and so their genius will never kind of add to the world that that's a a tragedy 
Um, and I wanted to, I really wanted to make a story where, I mean, yeah, I mean it's, it, it, it doesn't end as a tragedy, all right? I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that. Yeah, when you look at comics overall, um, obviously there are some sports anime, there's some sports manga, but sports as a category overall, overall there aren't too many stories. Did that deter you at all? Or were you like, I know I want to tell a sports story, so I'm going to go and do it? It honestly, it's felt kind of from day one that I'm a little bit on that bleeding edge and the wave is just behind me slash it's already a little bit in front of me with some stories that are already out there. Like, you know, like check please is a fabulous uh, sports web comic. Um, and also of course, you know, the entire Japanese sports comics industry of the popularity of, you know, sure early on slam dunk, but you know, high Q and Kuroko no Basuke and all these different series that, they have universal appeal and the the joke of um people being like oh i don't really watch sports but i love reading sports anime or watching sports anime that's uh that's pretty common refrain and uh so i i've i've always just kind of counted on that to be like well you know it might take a it might be a little bit of a niche but once they start reading i i bet i can get them hooked so you talked a little bit about sort of the, you know, untold history behind certain things, um, which is a theme as you read uh, Midnight Furies, you can kind of see how that comes about. Are there any other themes that you wanted the reader to think about or emotions that you wanted them to feel as they read Midnight Furies? Yeah, I mean, it's very much a coming of age story and not in the coming of age story of like young adult, but, but new adult, new adult in a way of like, you're leaving teenagehood and going out into the real world and all of a sudden you know your community is a whole mix of people some of whom are 10 or 15 years older than you some of whom are three years younger than you and you're kind of learning how to navigate and learning about all these different perspectives and truths in the world and you know everyone has their own their own right story their own right truth so when you started coming up with Midnight Furies as a concept, did you start with the characters? Did you start with the world? Because obviously the world is, is incredibly involved as well. What's your sort of creative process of getting this thing off the ground? So when I was talking about first, like the, the themes and like, you know, lost history and sports, that's a lot of that, that kind of emotional impetus, impetus that kind of birthed the seed of the idea of the world. So I would say that the world came first with Midnight Furies. So what, what has it been like for you as a creator to talk about these themes that, you know, I mean, one of the things I really like about webtoons and comics is like, you can find perspectives and stories that you can't find elsewhere because there's so many different people sharing their voice. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you get people who freaking love what you do. And you see that with Midnight Fury. So what has that process been like for you? Because it's one thing to start with, like, here's a story I want to tell. It's another to be like, oh my gosh, here are these people that empathize and sympathize with the characters I've created and love the message. So how's that been? Especially talking about these things that, you know, aren't talked about enough. It's been amazing, frankly. It's It's been what's certainly sustained the project through all of its highs and lows, where I knew in starting this project that there's a lot of different aspects to it, where you, you as a creator, you kind of cut out a piece of your heart and you put it on the table and you're like, well, here's all the the weird shit that I like and I kind of want to want to put together and uh, anybody else like this 
And then usually what you find when you make a story that's, you know, very true to yourself and very vulnerable um, and also includes a lot of the gray areas, uh, people tend to respond with like, oh, thank God, I'm not the only one who feels this. I'm not the only one who wants to see this. Um, and it's been really fabulous to see that with my readers and to, um, yeah, to just see it resonate with them because it helps also me feel like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not alone in wanting this and making this story. That this is not just a story for me that I kind of need to get out of my system. This is a story that like we all need to see and read and get out of our system. Well, the first thing is I commend you for the courage you've had to do that because I'm sure it wasn't easy. And the next thing is, what sort of advice do you have for a creator that might have that type of story that is a bit underrepresented that, you know, th there might be a bit of fear if you can find that audience? What kind of advice would you give them? Um, first of all, you are the only person who's going to know all of the different, like, vulnerable points of your story. You know, when it comes to, like, readers actually reading it, they're just in it for the story. So whenever people are like, oh, I don't know if I can put that in, put it in. Nobody's going to know that it was something that happened to you in the ninth grade and it was super embarrassing and traumatic. Like, nobody cares. They just care about how it adds to the story. So that's a, that's a really important piece. As far as, like, the actual marketability of it, <sighs> that starts to get into like the business of web comics. It's difficult on Webtoon and, and Tapas because you are a little um, at the whims of the, uh, I mean, not, not just like which, if, if editors notice you or whatever, but um, of different algorithms of what genres they put you in, of how people find you. So that can be kind of difficult. Um, but actually, you know what? The best advice I can give is network. Network with other creators who are also doing cool, awesome stories that are adjacent to your own. Um, because yeah, you, you don't get anywhere alone. You you get a you get somewhere with a network, with a group of group of friends. Your comic has a ton of action and a lot of sports action. So what is it like for you to create these scenes? Because one thing I've always liked is. I feel like there's only so much you can draw in terms of inspiration by what watching basketball because there's so much other stuff that you oh, have yeah. in your comic. So how do how do you come up with like the action scenes? Uh, well, first of all, I studied sports manga a lot um, with okay, what kind of what kind of beats, what kind of angles, what kind of paneling? How did they work in like the audience reaction panels, um, the everything from, you know, the directionality on the page as you go through, then when, when does that directionality change? Like I literally have, you know, four or five volumes of uh, everything from like Hajime no Ippo and Haikyuu just with like little, little notes. And frankly, I've like taken colored pencils and like drawn in them to be like, oh yeah, I see the directionality there. So, I mean, you gotta study the masters. You know, and they've done, you know, God, God knows how many volumes at this point, like they're, they're masters of the genre and the storytelling. So you gotta, um, you gotta go there. You uh, release your comic on a two week sort of schedule. What does your schedule look like as you're getting uh, chapters up? Yeah. So my chapters start, I mean, a long ways ahead of that. So, I mean, I have obviously outlines after outlines of drafts of outlines, and then every chapter takes about, I don't know, six or seven drafts. And then like every 
two years or so I've been gone through and been like, I need to do all of this. And like, I swipe a whole bunch of stuff off the board and kind of rearrange pieces here and there. But the bones of it, um, of course, have stayed the same the whole time and uh, just carrying it, carrying it all through. So there's that. And then I eventually get a chapter and I'm like, okay, here it is. Here we go. Uh, then I thumbnail it. And the thumbnailing is the hardest part, I would say, of the whole process, because that's when like it's really on the line of like, are you telling the story well? Um, and that's when it's really good to also get other eyeballs on it um, to you know run it by other other creators and have that network to be like, hey, uh, what do you think of this flow here? And sometimes people will be like, oh, there's like this page is a little a little dense or whatever. Um, I thumbnail it and okay, so I, I mean, like I've said, I thumbnail them as pages. I draw them as pages first and then what I do is that um, I mobile format them from there. So I kind of, the way I put all of my layers together, I kind of, you know, can cut and paste and paper doll it into a mobile format, which I think most people who do webtoons, mobile formatted webtoons, they don't do that because it's way too much work. And I can guarantee you, it is a lot of work for every four to six, well, yeah, for every about six pages of actual comic, it probably takes about uh, four hours of mobile formatting. Mm. Wow. Um, so that's uh, every couple of weeks. Is there a reason why you want to kind of do, go traditional comic in terms of layout and then mobile format it? Yeah, it's it, it lives as a book in my head. And there's also something where, you know, technology is very transitory. Um, I want this at the end of the day to be something that I can put on my shelf and that, it, you know, for the for the long run, if somebody says, you know, what's that? What's that weird comic that once existed? I don't want them to be like, oh, it existed on some platform that then got bought by some monopoly and then they reformatted everything and they got rid of all these old libraries. Like, I don't want that to happen. I want it to be able to uh, exist long term. Speaking of putting it on your shelf, you ran a Kickstarter that actually is getting th this on the shelf, which is incredibly exciting. H how does that feel for you? It feels tremendous. I, it's hard to put into words for probably the past, I mean, few years. I've literally sometimes gone to bed, like imagine I'm like, and the hardcover will be like this faux cloth texture with like a, a shiny foil on it. So when I've actually like working on the hardcover book, um, that particular thing that I wanted the book to have was a huge pain in the butt for actually the, the printers to actually make. And uh, we had, the books have actually been delayed by a month because I'm like, no, it has to be, it has to be this because I've imagined it. I've been dreaming about it for two years. And I actually just got the uh, hardcover advanced copies last week and it was totally worth the wait. But yeah, it feels, it feels pretty phenomenal. Massive congrats for, for making you. that happen. In terms of your fans, there's a lot of different things that you do for your fans. How did you kind of start with your your Discord and your Patreon. And I guess, you know, before we get into those specific platforms, why was fan engagement and connection so important to you? I mean, fan engagement and connection, A, it, uh, it helps me emotionally get through the project because, um, you know, they're wonderful. I love them. Uh, B, obviously, there's always the idea that, you know, Patreon will it helps you actually get paid for all of the labor, you know, that you're putting into something. And in terms of 
Patreon, maybe we can start there. How did you come up with the different tiers that you offer for your uh, uh, community? So they were the, the tiers on Patreon, they're always a work in progress. You kind of start from uh, one place and then uh, usually the thing that changes your tiers is how much you're actually able to do for your patrons. Um, especially because this this isn't a full-time thing for me. I have a, a, a day job on top of this. Um, so trying to work sustainably has been the biggest challenge and the most important lessons from working like this, where, um, yeah, it has to, whatever I'm doing the day-to-day, it has to be sustainable for the long-term. Whenever I get, I find myself getting that mindset of like, oh, I'll just push through to just get that, that next week's update up. I'm like, oh, like, oh fuck, burnout's just around the corner. It's just, Yeah. So I'm curious in terms of time balance, how much of your time is spent, you know, making the comic and how much of it is spent on uh, like engaging your fans on your different channels or providing extras? Oh, making the comic is probably 80% of it. Um, I wish that, oh God, I have so many ideas for things that I wish I could do for my fans. That's the part that gets me that like, I, I'm doing what I can, but like, oh, I have so many ideas of things that I would like to do, but I just, I don't have the time or energy, which is frustrating. But um, I'm really excited for the store I'm going to be launching. Finally, Ooh. it's it's long overdue, but with all of the, the Kickstarter merchandise, like the leftover merchandise after uh, sending everyone, of course, all of their, all of the backers, all of their merchandise. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of ideas. What are some of the ideas that uh, that you have that you're like, oh, I wish I could do that? Um, I'm sure you have a bunch, but what are maybe your, your top few? Uh, I mean, like I have like limited edition uh, clothing runs, like different printed t-shirts. And I'd love to like, I don't want to just, you know, I I have a lot of ethical problems with fast fashion. So I'm interested in like, okay, what if I could work with like um, a local screen printer and like, what if you, what if you use like old Goodwill t-shirts? Cause also Midnight Furies, it's, it's very punk, man. It's yeah. very like, do it yourself. You make your own, your own thing. Like, what if I got a ton of shirts and then like screen printed over them, some really cool stuff. And then like sold a limited number of those. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the ideas that I'm kind of, uh, kind of tossing around. Your, your favorite tier that I had seen included hand painted kicks. Is that going to be on your store? I I hope so. I was really bummed that the guy who took that in the that that Kickstarter reward tier for uh, hand painted shoes, um, he ghosted, and I was I was super bummed about that. So yeah, I'm I I definitely want to get those. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get around to doing those this summer because that would be that would be awesome. And. The other thing you do is you have a very vibrant Discord community. So how did you think about like, okay, here's what I want my Discord to be? Because as I hop around through different Discords, each one has a very different feel. There's different things that you do in them. So what did you want your Discord community to be about? Well, I'm actually, I'm, I'm curious to uh, hear more of your response of like comparison, because I, I, I'm, a, I don't think I'm a part of any other webcomic Discords. Yeah. So um, I, it's hard for me to say like, oh, this is what, why mine is the way it is. Um, I think one of the things that I like about my Discord and that I've heard other people in the Discord say is that 
there's some perks to being like a small time successful creator, honestly, where I know most of the people in my discord. I, I know their day jobs and I, you know, I kind of know if they're in school or sometimes I know what they're studying and what they do. And no, it's, it's pretty awesome. So yeah, so it's kind of nice that it's a small enough community that I can actually know them and talk with them and that it's not just a, it's not just like a mass of a, like a crowd. Like I, I have some uh, friends with discords and, and like they, as the creator, don't even go into the discord because it's just like, it's like just walking into a noisy room. So I'm, I'm kind of glad it's not, it's not like that. Yeah, I'd say that the two things I've noticed with yours is one, you know, you are very present there. And I do like getting the notification, be like, okay, I wonder what, you know, Justice posted. <laughs> That's there. And then, um, I mean, I'm relatively no, new to the Discord community, but you you feel that people sort of know each other or are familiar. Um, yeah. I don't know what it is about it that makes me feel that way, but maybe it's just less hostile than some of the other Discords <laughs> I've seen. But uh, I definitely see that community aspect in there. Yeah, I mean, I've known, I've known uh, a lot of the people in there for the past like two or three years, and you know, shoot the shit, going enough live streams. I've I've streamed Hades enough on there where you know, eventually, yeah, I know them, they know me. So you live stream, uh, you've live streamed Hades on your channel before. Have you played any other games? Occasionally, yes. Okay. No, Hades is the only video game I play. <laughs> so I've occasionally um, shared my excitement with with them. And they've been gracious enough to uh, be like, oh, yeah, that's great. Why, why Hades out of uh, sort of all the games out there? I have played Hades. I love it. But it's funny that that's the one game you play. Yeah. So um, I really like, A, that you have to lose. You have to mm -hmm. die. That that's built into, like, the game mechanics. Um, because I think I grew up in a – my entire family is gamers. Like, two – down to my mother who she plays like civilization games and conquers the world. So I've always had this thing of like, like, I'm not good at games. I'm going to fail at them. But in Hades, like it's, you're supposed to fail over and over and over again. Um, and then also the fact that uh, Zagreus, he's a wonderful guy. He's not just like a schmuck and you're like this canon uh, poly bisexual it's fabulous. So yeah, I love the story and the dialogue. The fact that the dialogue is like, the script for the, for the game is like as thick as like a Game of Thrones book. It's just, that's yeah. crazy. It's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a well, well-made game. I've, yeah. I've really enjoyed beating it a few times. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about monetization. You mentioned mm -hmm. that you have a full-time uh, day job. Uh, what sorts of things have been helpful for you to make money and just, you know, support your comic making endeavors? So the first, the most important thing I've learned is you have to define success for yourself. You can't let anyone else say like, oh, you're not successful with your comic unless A, B, and C. I got news for you, probably about, oh God, more than that, uh, nine tenths of the webcomic creators out there. Actually, no, now that Webtoon is on the scene and doing a lot of that, it might be a little bit more like, I don't know, eight tenths or whatever. Um, they have a day job. They totally have a day job. And even like, you know, really successful, amazing comics and people, they, they still, you know, have a day job or they have a significant other, which carries most of the, you know, the rent of the bills. Like 
it's okay. Something, something doesn't have to pay all of your bills in order for it to be like, quote unquote, successful. The most important thing is like, A, are you really loving what you're doing? And B, is it sustainable? Is the way you're working right now um, sustainable for, you know, could you do this for the next three or four years and be like, yeah, I'll be fine. I'm not going to burn out. But um, yeah, because I've, I've run into a lot of different walls, you know, trying to monetize in, in different ways. And um, yeah, you just got to, you got to figure it out for yourself. And it's different for everybody. It's different for everybody. So what are some of the things that you've tried that haven't been as uh, successful in terms of making money for your comic? Yeah. So I think the big one would be um, uh, being a Webtoon original, where about a year into making Midnight Furies, uh, they reached out and we had a conversation about Midnight Furies becoming Webtoon original. But the issue was that particularly at that time period, um, I was recovering recovering from a, a really bad repetitive stress injury, where um, basically the year before uh, I started Midnight Furies, I couldn't hold a pencil for like nine months. I was in a lot of physical therapy and all of this. So while I was um, getting Midnight Furies off the ground, uh, I was just severely limited in terms of how much I could draw. And I, when we talked about what they would need for me in terms of like the weekly panel rate and everything, I just knew that I, I couldn't do it. And that was devastating. I, I honestly, it was one of the lowest points, uh, emotionally speaking, but um, it worked out though, in the long run, it really did because I got a day job, which I'm extremely lucky that I can work remotely for home and it gives me a stable income and I can do what I want and I can do it on my own schedule and I can tell the story my way. So it's really like in the long run, I'm like, you know, it's okay. You know, if web, probably, you know, if Webtoon came and knocked on my door, it's like, hey, we want to turn, you know, Midnight Furious into a Webtoon original now. And, you know, I'd be like, cool, as long as I don't have to color 560 pages, that'd be fine. I, you know, I'd probably take them up on it. But as it is now, like the Canvas community is a really wonderful community of creators. I'm, I'm really grateful that Webtoon, um, that they have the Webtoon Canvas app because I think uh, they don't have that abroad. It's just Webtoon Originals. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that they have that space for people to kind of have the flexibility to work the way that they need to work. You just touched on two, you know, low points, right? One was an injury that you had where, you know, you couldn't even hold a pencil. The other was deciding that going and becoming a Webtoons original, which is the goal for so many, um, was not right for you. Was there ever a, a moment where you're like, maybe I'm not going to make a comic? What, what had you push through that? It's hard to describe other than just pure fucking stubbornness. I'm sorry if you have to bleep that out, but like, I was just like, fuck, I'm going to tell this fucking story. I'm going to, and I got my Zoe, I got my Chase, I got my Midnight Games where, I mean, it, it kind of frankly played into what the story is about, where the story, it, I mean, it's about kind of just doing things your own way, playing the game your way and not playing it by, by other people's, other people's ways. So I don't know. I think it, that the story's coming out better for it, I think, because I think it came across, especially in those earlier chapters of like, maybe some of like 
Zoe's desperation was a little bit of reflective of my cornered desperation at the time, but it worked out narratively. There are some points where you read it and like all you feel through the screen is like, I have something to prove. Um, <laughs> and like just talking to you about it, it's like, oh my gosh, I see where it comes. It's so cool though. I mean, I, I love the way it, it comes, it's like so fucking badass. So all I will say on this note is uh, Jess, we're, we're glad you are continuing your story. So I'm very grateful for you to do that. Oh, um, in terms of the future of the industry, I mean, you've watched a very interesting evolution, um, you know, from the very, like, you know, obviously from the print era to the beginning of web comics, now web comics on your phone. What do you think the future of the comics industry holds? So there's always, there's always going to be print. There's always going to be page formatted online. I think the advent of mobile formatted comics is wonderful. Um, I don't think it's going to replace anything, so to speak. Uh, I think it's, it's the, the audience is going to continue to grow. And as the audience grows, the, the mediums will continue to grow and evolve and different different types of stories work well in different mediums like we all know this between you know okay when you move something from a book to a tv show you gotta you gotta change some things um just to you know fit the tv show and i think you know between the different types of comic mediums it's going to be interesting to see what different stories develop because uh it's kind of that's what makes it interesting starting in a page format and then moving to a mobile format is that um it's, I feel like a, uh, I'm a director who gets to shoot a movie twice. Mm. So the editing and the pacing and uh, the storytelling and like the moments that kind of get lingered on, they're different. And that's really cool. It's, it's a lot of fun. It gives me kind of a lot of uh, creative flexibility. So yeah, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I think it's gonna continue to be a very diverse marketplace. Uh, at least I hope so. I do hope that creators get to have more and more control over their channels and over, I mean, God, especially marketing. I mean, being at the whim of social media algorithms is like praying to a Lovecraftian God that you just, you don't know what it wants. You're just throwing stuff on an altar and being like, well, let's see what happens. And what do you want to do, uh, or what do you see, rather, in your future? Well, I'm, I'm finishing Midnight Furies. Come hell or high water, that's for that's for sure. Yeah, a lot of what I'm doing now, I think I've hit a pretty good sustainable place where, you know, I've got a day job that keeps me going, and Midnight Furies is uh, Midnight Furies is going well. Um, I'm actually this summer. I'm taking a sabbatical for a couple of months from my day job and uh yeah i'm really looking forward to just being like Minaviris! and just drawing a ton i'm super excited so so your sabbatical is full-time work on midnight fury yeah you, my, my, my my sabbatical is like wow <laughs> wouldn't it be great if i only had one job for a while because you know that's that's capitalism for you you got to keep grinding no matter what a lot of creators, they have a story they're working on and there are other ideas that pop into their head. Are like, Do you have other stories that you want to okay. tell or are you so sort of in the Midnight Furies world that you're like, I just need to get this thing done first? Oh God, no, I have. I definitely have other stories. 
yeah, I definitely have other stories. I, I think it would be a lot of fun actually to work as a writer, collaborating with another artist on some of my other story ideas. Uh, and yeah, I think I, I have a particular itch actually to, after Midnight Furies, not during it, but like after when I can really have time to focus to maybe move into science fiction mm. because I, I feel like we're, we're all collectively in this place where we're like, wow, whatever cyberpunk dystopia we've got going on right now kind of sucks in a lot of ways. And then when we look towards the future though, it's like all we see is like, it's just a Blade Runner, you know, awfulness or whatever. I want to, I want to explore what, what the future looks like if it's not actually a, a dystopia. Well, I'm looking forward to, to seeing those projects come to life as well. Um, I did have one fan question I wanted to ask you. This comes from Camila Ramos 407. And her question is, what inspired your characters? Yeah. So I think I talked a little bit about that kind of earlier on with Chase and Zoe. Uh, Chase and Zoe, visually, I'm like, okay, I want one that's shorter and has a lot of like round roundness to her character design. And I want her to be a young black girl and I want her to have all of those like shonen protagonist anime traits that have been missing. And so I want her to have that and just be like a fabulous incarnation of that. And then I want a tall kind of angular and not attractive, like not designed to be like, you know, mainstream attractive uh, white woman who is with that. So kind of have like that tall, skinny, sharp, and then like short and round and kind of, you know, mm. having that personality dichotomy. So really thinking a lot about the, the juxtaposition of those two together, then like, what would it be like if they're, you know, actually playing together? Yeah. And in terms of advice, what advice would you give to someone that's just getting started and making their own comic? So I think a lot of that piece of, you know, define your own success. Uh, that's, and that, that you're gonna figure that out as you go along and it's gonna change as your career grows. Uh, I mean, cut closer to the bone. I have a quote, uh, which I don't know, might be offensive to some people these days, but it's from somebody famous. There's nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and open a vein. And the more vulnerable you are with your own story, uh, the more people are gonna say, yes, thank you. Um, and the more it's gonna stick with your readers. So, you know, that's, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I don't like seeing stories that I feel like somebody just like, threw a bunch of tropes in a blender and like spat out a smoothie it's like okay like that there's a time and a place for that you know we all we all like something like that to you know read on the bus and that that's a lot of fun but you know write something that matters to you because then it will matter to other people makes a lot of sense and those are the best stories are you ready to move on to our rapid fire round yeah let's do it what fictional character best describes your personality it's probably Daniel, actually, from Dak slash Daniel from my own comic. Am I allowed to say characters from my own comic? Yeah, of course. Okay, okay, yeah. You it's created probably... it. It's your comic. It's your <laughs> character now. Yeah, I mean, they're all, all of the characters are parts of myself, but Daniel is probably the closest thing to a one-to-one, -one, except for the height. I don't have his height, which I'm bummed about, but yeah. 
Which three webtoons or comics would you take with you on a desert island? Uh, Lavender Jack, because the creator of that, Dan Shigati, he's a good friend of mine, and we have very similar tastes when it comes to period uh, mystery and action superhero stuff. Um, my other friend, Mars, their story, Ride or Die, which is, it's just getting started, and I've actually, I've, I've been, uh, I know a lot of the behind the scenes stuff about the story that's coming and I'm really excited for it and it's looking gorgeous and it's all about like cars and it's gay and it's great. Um, and then I would probably also take Check Please because Ngozi just made a fabulous heartwarming comic with that. If you could pick any creator to have dinner with, who would it be? Probably Oda of One Piece. I mean, you know, it's, it's Oda Sensei. How would you not want to have dinner with him? That, that, I like that. You're just challenging everyone to be like, can you please pick someone else and, and <laughs> prove to me it's right? So fair play. <laughs> fair play. Uh, what's your favorite scene from any webtoon or comic? Oh, man. Okay, that's a, that's a hard one. I mean, okay, you know, Long Halloween. Mm. It, it would, yeah, Long Halloween when he's like walking through Arkham Asylum. Some of those, those panels that stuck in my head that I was like, I want to see these moving that kind of inspired that. It's probably, it's probably there. And if you could have dinner with a fictional character, who would it be? Maybe I just read too much One Piece recently because there's, that's in a cool place right now, but probably Luffy because it wouldn't be anything serious. And you know, within two seconds flat, everybody within a half mile radius would be having a party. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Well, listener, please check out Midnight Furies and you can follow Jess on Twitter at that JP. Heron, and you can find her link tree from there. Jess, thank you so much for taking some time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any feedback or want to be featured as our next guest, please write to us at pixelsandpanelspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, like, or give us a five-star rating. See you all next week.